Lent started way back in February. And for 40 days, we've encouraged you to reflect, to be able to ask God some hard questions, so that by the time we get to Good Friday, we have a real understanding of why Jesus died. In fact, some of you might be a little bit, well, overwhelmed. Rick, (laughs) we keep talking about sin. Well, the truth is, sin's a pretty bad deal. We, each one of us, we've rebelled against God in a way where we can't have a relationship with him. What a wonderful, wonderful display of God's love where he literally says, I love you like crazy. And I am going to die on the cross to take care of the sin, the rebelliousness in our lives so we, we can have relationship. So we all have blind spots. And for this time, we're encouraging you to meet with God and to recognize and to ask hard questions. So there'll be great joy, not only on Good Friday, because of what Jesus did, but mostly on Easter, when he has raised, he's been raised from the dead. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You, Lord, are a compassionate and a gracious God. You are slow to anger, you're abounding in love, and you are faithful. You, Lord, deserve to be worshipped. You are God. And sometimes we just forget it. We like making our choices and doing our thing. But you, God, are a God to be reverend. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we acknowledge that your kingdom is advancing We know as we even study in Acts that your church is the plan. But Lord, we feel so outnumbered, so weak, so ineffective at times. We ask you, Lord, that you would fill your church with the Spirit and unleash us. We pray that you would strengthen your church, strengthen your missionaries, We pray in particular, Father, for churches in our area, in our neck of the woods, for Indian Hill and for Northbridge and for Orchard. We ask you, dear God, that you would powerfully work in these churches and among those people. We ask, Father, that you would give us this day our daily bread. You provide for our needs. But Lord, I... We question you at times. 
May we grow in our faith here, Lord. May we grow in our generosity. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We know that our selfishness separates us. May we be quick to repent. We have sinned so many times and we have been guilty, guilty of pride and unbelief. Guilty of not forgiving others like you have forgiven us. Guilty of failure to find your peace and understand your word. Guilty of not seeking you and not seeking first your kingdom. We, Father, as a group and as individuals have grieved the Holy Spirit and chosen not to submit to your will. Purge us. Cleanse us from every false desire and any lack of obedience. Father, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Deliver us from every evil habit, for that does not glorify you or honor you in any way. Do let the enemy accuse us of any rebellion that you have covered with your blood. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad you're here today, and I'm so glad that we get to open up God's Word. And I would like you to open up to Acts chapter 10 right now. And as you do that, let me just try to help you get into the context here. Way back in the very beginning when we started our study in Acts, we realized that Jesus met with his disciples. And right before he went up to glory, right before he went up to heaven, he told them to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. So 120 of them went back to Jerusalem and waited And as I've said just about every week, no one could have imagined what that day would look like. What the day would look like when that spirit came. Because there was wind and there was fire. And then thousands of people came to faith. They heard the good news. They understood that Jesus was Messiah. And then the Acts 2.42 community formed. And there was teaching and fellowship and meals and prayer. And these clusters of believers began to come together and to grow. But as you know, the enemy's claws came out. But God's plan couldn't be thwarted. Sin was addressed in their community, and conflict was resolved within their walls. The gospel continued to spread as persecution intensified. God was at work in both the Hebrew and the Samaritan communities at this time. And then about Acts chapter 9, it just surprised us, and it certainly surprised the early church. 
The arch enemy of the church, his name was Saul, he turned to Jesus. Nobody could explain that. No one could understand that. They were just absolutely amazed that the man that wanted to kill Christians and destroy the church was now preaching about grace? Last week, God used Peter to bring healing through messages and miracles. Prayer continued to be foundational, and the church grew, and the church spread. This week, you're in for another shock. If you've been reading ahead, you have a little bit of an idea what we're going to be talking about. But the Jews and this early church, filled with believing Jews and Samaritans, are in for a huge paradigm shift. You see, when God wants to make a change within a church or a Christian organization, he rarely communicates to the masses. More often, he prompts an individual. He uses a leader to become his agent of change. Now, depending on the health of the organization, this individual receives either respect or ridicule. God's vision, which is given to leaders for his church, will never contradict Scripture. It will always grow an organization's faith and help them become more obedient to the Word of God. The future of that organization will depend upon its response to the Lord's agent of change. Now, change is always challenging for each one of us. There's no doubt but we're going to see it in the context of Peter. He's going to clearly illustrate that today. Now, the church has been around for a few years as we open up Acts 10. Might even been around for three, four, five years already. And we don't always get that image or that picture as you just read through Acts. The church was changing. It really was listening to God in new and fresh ways. The apostle Peter had now embraced the Samaritans as brothers and sisters, folks that he and his fellow Jews considered half-breed religious uh, compromisers. But God isn't finished yet. Put your seatbelts on because what God is going to do in these next two chapters is absolutely going to blow you away. So let's look. Acts chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 1. And you can follow along on the screen. We're going to read through verse 8. I've asked Gary to read for us so you can follow along. Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 1. 
In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Dr. Luke, who is writing this historical account of the early church, introduces us to Cornelius. Now, this is a story that would make the early church squirm, especially as we get into it, because it's a story about prejudice. Let me just give you a little background here. But Caesarea would be off limits to a God-fearing Jew. Caesareans basically worshipped wrong gods and had religion all wrong. The unethical and ruthless Roman government ruled from Caesarea. This city represented everything that was wrong with Israel the Roman domination, the Gentile occupation, and the compromising Hellenistic Jews. Cornelius, though, is described as a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort. We don't know much more than that, but a cohort back then was a military unit consisting of at least 600 fighting men. A centurion was a commander or officer that oversaw 100 of these soldiers. So we read in these first few verses that Cornelius was a Roman military officer living in Caesarea. And as soon as that came out, the early church basically just went, yuck, what? What? Oh, this is the scum of all scums. Why is this? Why? What are you doing, God? Even so, we read this Roman commander was devout, praying, fearing God, and giving generously. This didn't fit into their mindset. This was unimaginable. And then an angel spoke to Cornelius during about 3 p.m. It was a normal time that Jews would pray in the temple, but of course Cornelius wasn't able to be there. He was unclean. Cornelius heard from an angel. All we know is he was praying, probably his normal practice. And an angel shows up. This 
unbelievably courage warrior, the Bible tells us, or courageous warrior, tells us that he was terrified. <laughs> but he also tells us that he obeyed quickly. He sent a threesome to this man, Peter, on a 30-mile journey. Now think of it. He could have waited to the next day. He could have done a lot of different things. But he wanted to do exactly what that angel said. He feared God. So three of his cohorts took a trip, probably as close to 4 p.m. I mean, it was going to get dark soon. We don't know how they got there, but they didn't know this. They were sent by Cornelius. Now look at verse 9, Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to a flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter! Kill and eat them. No, Lord. No, Lord. Mm, no. All that's really emphasized. Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But... The voice spoke again. <laughs> Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Now, so many of you who have read this text, you, you sort of know what's happening. But just imagine, Peter's up there. He's normally praying at 12. Again, it is a normal time. Jews would often pray at 9. They would play, pray at 12, and they would pray at 3. Some would even would pray later. But those were the designated times. So Peter was up there, and Peter was praying, and the Lord just says he came into a trance. Not exactly sure what that is. But he had a earth-shaken vision. Why? Because all of his life, not only had he drilled into him, but he had practiced this. He, as a Jew, did not eat unclean animals. There were strict dietary laws which separated the Jews from everywhere, everyone else. Basically, there's quite a few animals that would fit in there, but the biggies would probably be pork and shellfish. All right? Think of that. And so here this sheet comes down. He's in a trance. He hears the words, go ahead and eat, Peter. <laughs> no, not going to do it. The scriptures say the same vision came in a total of three times. Right after he said no each time, 
The messenger said this, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. It was emphasis. You're not getting it. You're not understanding this. And it is kind of funny. You know, in verse 17, the scripture tells Peter was perplexed. Like, what does this vision mean? Duh. (laughs) Come on. I mean, you see the animals. It was very clear. I want you to eat these animals. No, I'm not going to. And then God reprimanded him a little bit. Hey, don't, you know, kind of fudge with some of the things that I'm telling you. (laughs) Oh, look at verse 19. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling, remember he was perplexed, Over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I have sent them. Meanwhile, during his pondering, the Holy Spirit spoke directly to Peter. And Peter listens. He's been doing that. Peter hears from God and then responds and obeys. He goes down and he finds three men from Caesarea. He invites the men in. They spend the night and they leave for Caesarea the next day. Now I got to tell you is that although Peter was perplexed and although Peter didn't get it right away, I think as he was pondering it came to light. Because Peter would have never taken people from Caesarea, Gentiles in this case, and invited them into his house, and not only that, allow them to stay overnight. This was a bold move, and I'm not even so sure how much Peter slept through that night, because this had never, ever happened before. But though grace abounds, and he's listening, prejudice also dies hard. Let me put it this way. To be fair, this would almost be asking a sincere teetotaler to have a shot of whiskey with you. All their life, never, ever, ever touched alcohol. Hey, come on over. You're like, wait wait a minute. This was so odd for Peter. Well, Peter, some of his friends, the scripture tell us, and this trio left and arrived the next day and they met Cornelius. You can read through this. And Cornelius was expecting them and had his whole house filled with people. Scriptures tell us that Cornelius sees them. Immediately Cornelius falls down and begins to worship Peter. This is a little bit awkward, the first impression and so on. Peter holds them up and says, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I am not God. <laughs> I am not God. So Peter goes inside this Gentile's house, people all over, and shares his heart. 
He starts off letting them know right away. He goes, I just want you to know I can come into your house because God has showed me a truth, a truth that absolutely changes all of my behavior. So I responded, and I came in in spite of my long-held prejudice. And then the scripture tells us, well, then Cornelius tells everybody in the household, in Peter, his story. While he was praying, and how an angel came to him, and how he was supposed to send a messenger or messengers to Peter. And Peter was supposed to come back, because Peter had some unbelievably wonderful revelation. Now, at the pause, after Cornelius is telling his story right here, and everyone's at the edge of their seat, Peter notices, hey, they're all listening. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach right now because that's who I am. So if you would, we're going to start at verse 34. You can follow along on the screen. Um, But I'm going to have this read for us. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Peter's message now to the Gentiles had to blow them away. He basically said this, if you fear God and you do right, you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. He tells his story once again, saying, hey, we as apostles, and I'm one of them, we're eyewitnesses how Jesus transforms life and the grace that he extends to everyone. We even saw him die. And after he died and he rose from the grave, we drank with him and ate with him after the resurrection. But listen to this message. Christ's message was clear. He told the apostles to preach everywhere that Jesus will judge or be the judge. Whoa. 
I don't necessarily think there's only one way to share the gospel. But really, he goes a little bit different direction here. He says, I want you to preach that God will ultimately judge. You will stand before the Almighty God. And that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven. You see, the gospel message is more robust than Jesus loves you. Jesus does love you. Jesus did send his son because he loves you. But Jesus ultimately will be the judge that every man and woman will stand before. And if you have put your faith and trust in him as Savior, then your sins will be forgiven. Whoa. Now look at Acts chapter 10, verse 44, right after this. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers, remember Peter brought a few people with him, who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. They heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized? now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them several days. While Peter, <laughs> Peter, while Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message, all those who were responding they turned to Jesus, and we had been talking about this. They repented. Peter's Jewish believer friends were shocked. Peter, though, had already heard this message. Peter did get the point. He acknowledged the obvious. The power of the Holy Spirit flowed through these Gentile believers. And he baptized them in water immediately and stayed with them several days, undoubtedly to answer their questions, to teach them the basics of living in grace and encourage them to be witnesses because that was the message that Peter continually shared. You know, by this time in church history, the term repentance had taken a technical meaning Repentance encapsulizes the response of Cornelius and his household to the gospel. Repentance is the process of turning away from one's own ability to be good enough to earn your salvation and turn toward Christ in an attitude of faith. Very young people can come to faith Three or four or five-year-olds can understand that they're sinful and they need a Savior as, long, as well as older adults. But 
What does repentance look like? You know, it's very interesting. Uh, during the time of Lent, one of the things that I've been doing um, to walk, to help me walk this pathway a little bit differently is spend some time reading some Puritan preacher prayers. Now, again, it's, it's not something you just normally sit down and do, but realistically, these prayers have ignited me. Help me understand just a little bit of how much I really need to grow in my prayer life. One of the prayers, very interesting to me, is a prayer um, of salvation. And what I'd like to do is actually read this prayer. It was prayed by one of the preachers, William Guthrie. And this is how he prayed to receive Christ as Savior. It Help me understand maybe just a little bit of what repentance might look like. This is what he says. Lord, I am lost and fallen creature by nature and by actual transgressions beyond number, which I confess to you this day. I have lived without you, he writes, senseless and ignorant, But you have impressed on my heart how miserable I am in myself and have shown me the remedy provided by Jesus Christ. You have offered him freely to me on the condition that I would accept this offer and flee to Jesus. And now you have sovereignly determined my heart and formed it for Christ, causing me to approach the living God. Therefore, I am here today to settle the matter according to your will. Unworthy as I am, I declare that I believe that Jesus Christ, slain at Jerusalem, was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I believe there is eternal life in Christ and in Christ alone. I trust my soul to you, Jesus. I accept God's reconciliation through you. I choose you in all that you are. I submit all that I am or have to you and divorce myself from everything you hate without reservation or exception and no turning back. Here I give my hand to you. I accept God's offer of peace through Christ and make a covenant with you today never to be reversed. Subdue my corruption I place my neck under your sweet yoke in all things and cheerfully submit my heart to whatever you want me to do or do with me. Now I praise you, Father, for devising this salvation and for giving it to your Son to accomplish. I praise you, Jesus, who paid such a dear price and through whom I have access to the Father, in whom I am reconciled and united with God. I am no longer an enemy or a stranger. I give you praise, Holy Spirit, for sounding the alarm when I was destroying myself, for convincing me that I was in danger for opening my eyes to the remedy and for persuading my wicked heart to fall in love with Jesus. Now you are teaching me how to covenant with God. You are showing me the sure mercies of David and the blessings of Abraham and how to secure the favor and the friendship of God forever. 
I submit my choice this day with my heart, my head, my soul, and my whole person. I resolve not to be my own, but yours. For you have said, and I intend not to abuse your mercy, but so much the more cling close to you. I know your consent to this bargain stands recorded in Scripture. So I need no to sign. I accept your offer on your terms. You are faithful. You will pardon whatever is lacking in my way of doing this. God is true, and Jesus saves. Now again, when you're four years old, my guess is you're not going to pray that prayer. All right? But I do know this, is that each one of us, as we understand how sin affects God and us, and how wonderful this salvation is, and how excited Paul was to be able to offer this to the Gentiles, a group that he despised. This was a momentous occasion in the development of the church. Just as Peter um, didn't understand all the implications of this rooftop vision in Joppa, so these Jewish Christians didn't comprehend all this meant for the church and as a movement for them personally. Their acceptance of Gentile converts gave them greater affinity with Gentiles. This was good for the unity of the church. But let me remind you, this would form a permanent wedge between themselves and the temple. At this time, embracing Gentiles as brothers and sisters would put an end to the goodwill they enjoyed among ordinary Jews perhaps even their relatives. Now let's look at how the church responded. You would probably say at this time, oh, I bet they were excited. This is going to be great. Look at chapter 11, and let's read the first three verses. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. Criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. The news preceded Peter's arrival back home. The church criticizes, literally saying, how could you do this, Peter? Now, let me just remind you Criticize in the Greek is an extremely strong verb. They were riled up that Peter came back with this news. Now, to be fair, just days before, Peter felt the same way, so he couldn't get too riled up of how angry they got. But what happens is so cool. People who were so upset with Peter, the leader. Look what happens. Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 15. 
As I began to speak, Peter continued, telling the story of what happened. The Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you're going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way, Peter said. Now how cool, verse 18, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Because the Spirit was active, because God's word was clear, there was a change of heart. The church quit objecting and starting literally to praise God. Now remember, any change requires some kind of an adjustment, but this was a biggie. First the Samaritans, and now the Gentiles are welcome in the church. From the beginning, it was God's intention for Israel to be the instrument in bringing all of the nations into his family. But where the Hebrews failed, Jesus would succeed. The good news is Jesus indeed is the Messiah sent to Israel. But he came to redeem the whole world so that all might have peace, might be reconciled to the Almighty God. There are so many things that stick out to me in our text today. There really are. First of all, how exciting it is that the coming of the Holy Spirit is now complete. The Holy Spirit is available not only to us today, but back then it is available to the Jews who come to faith, the Samaritans who come to faith, and now the Gentiles who have come to faith. God was making a statement how important this Spirit is. Another thing that seemed to stick out and shout, at least to me, is that God seemed to work during prayer times. Oftentimes I will hear, even as a pastor, you know what, I just don't hear God talking to me. I'm just not getting anything out of the scripture. I'm just not understanding. You know, is there some kind of formula I need to be using? Oftentimes we'll just talk about your prayer life. Because I see God prompting and changing and working in my spirit as I stay on my knees. As our church stays on our knees. As your leadership prays. We understand what God wants us to do and where he wants us to go. Now God, 2,000 years ago, was dealing with prejudice. Sadly, Our diversity in race and creed and culture and gender and nationality has made us prejudiced. 
The creeping infestation of prejudice happens gradually and often takes root before we can identify it or even eliminate it. Certain prejudices are easy to identify. But some prejudice, well, is a little more subtle. Like sometimes we don't like certain places that people live or the school that they attended or the education that they have received or their age or maybe even the salary that they bring home. I'm so convinced that the church needs to be different. God worked in an amazing way 2,000 years ago and it's working even today in many of the same ways. But the truth is, if we look at the church, the church sometimes isn't that different. Peter, the hero of the Jerusalem congregation, and arguably the most courageous Christian in the first two decades of the church struggled with prejudice. I'm not sure if he just didn't want everyone to get the Holy Spirit, which was so valuable and wonderful, or if he just didn't want them to experience any kind of joy. Fortunately for Peter and the church, the Lord would not let this sinful attitude remain. I have some questions as we come to a close here. Are there prejudices that God needs to uproot in you, in us? Because God's will is that the church ought to love and serve all peoples. But anytime the church does that, loving and serving all peoples, there are challenges. You see, realistically, God was changing the way Jewish Christians thought about the lost. What's so cool, as we look back in Acts chapter 9, the arch enemy of the church was redeemed and turned into one of the greatest missionaries of all time. Nobody would have thought that. Nobody. I wonder how many Pauls or Sauls are in your life. Folks say, you know, I wouldn't share the gospel with them. They're never going to get redeemed. God would never save them. They're the ultimate creeps. Look what he does. Look what she does. I hope God breaks our heart for the lost. Initially, Peter was judged by the church for listening to God. Peter was determined to listen to God, not to man. His story confirmed over and over and over that God was at work. And even today, I think godly leadership needs to be courageous and obey God and not man. 
It was then Peter's responsibility to communicate God's directions and to convince others to follow. And they did. They did. Meanwhile, while all this was happening, Gentiles were coming to faith. And I wanted to actually go a little bit further because at the end of chapter 11, and we're not going to get there today, we're going to go next week. But the Gentile church is rising up. The Gentile church is just coming to faith and they're, and they're growing like crazy. And one of the things they hear is that there's some believers who need some help financially. And we're going to find next week that they responded. These newer believers didn't even know these other folks. And they said, they need some help. Let's help them. In just a little bit, we're going to be taking a door offering along with our normal offering as you leave for Casa de Orucion, a Hispanic church, a church that's doing some amazing work, a church I'm pretty sure we probably only know one or two people in that church. But we hear about it. And just like the Gentile church, which basically we are a Gentile church, here are the need, and we're going to have an opportunity to respond in just a moment. You know, may God continually change us in so many areas, in generosity, in looking at folks that might be, well, too lost for the gospel for being courageous, for listening to God and not men, for praying and listening to God's direction. This is exciting. It was exciting 2,000 years ago, and it continues to be exciting right here, and we can be part of it. The task is unfinished, folks. It is. We are continually making disciples who make disciples, sharing good news and encouraging those folks on the journey. God has you here for a reason. God has me here for a reason. And the adventure will continue next week as we continue to focus on how God used ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just excited. I'm inspired. But God, maybe more than that, I'm convicted. I'm convicted of how I put you in a box. You're only supposed to work a certain way in a certain ministry at a certain time. That's crazy talk, God. You love our world. You died for our world, and we are heralds of good news. The life-changing gospel. Father, may we be bold. May we be courageous. May we spend time on our knees and hear your voice. May we, well, be the church that you left here to accomplish your mission. Oh God, we are grateful. 
in some ways overwhelmed, but, but grateful that you saw fit to, well, have us in Crosspoint Church and even in this world right now. We love you, Lord. Use us, move us, change your world through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond together. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. so glad that you can join us. If you're newer here to Crosspoint, uh, you'll find a connect card in the back of the seat in front of you. We would encourage you to fill that out. We'd love to get to know you. Just fill out your name, just your number, so we can follow up, we can call you, um, and let you know how to get more connected and involved here at Crosspoint. Well, one of the ways that we worship here at Crosspoint is through giving. And if you're new to Crosspoint, there's no obligation for you to give Giving is for those who consider Crosspoint their church home. So you can give online at thecrosspointchurch.org or we have our giving boxes at the back of the worship center and at the exit as well. Well, Good Friday, Easter are coming up. Our Good Friday service is April 2nd. We have two, five, and seven. Child care will be at the five o'clock and that'll be birth through kindergarten. You can reserve tickets online. Just go to thecrosspointchurch.org and you can reserve your tickets for either service. You can uh, let us know uh, yourself and also your kids too. You can include them in the the ticket count as well just so we have a a really accurate feel for who's coming. Um, And then on Easter we have 9 and 10.30. We have child care at the 10.30. That'll be birth through fifth grade. So again, you can reserve your tickets for Easter as well. I wanted to talk a little bit again about Good Friday. 
Um, you know, last week we talked about how on Good Friday we are here to ponder, we're here to proclaim, and we're here to praise Jesus for his death. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this title, Ransomed. Um, that's the title of our Good Friday service and our Easter service, Ransomed, from God, by God, for God. It's kind of an intriguing title and intentionally provocative. That word ransomed, it, it really comes from uh, Mark ten forty five, where Jesus says that uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's where that word comes from. We've been purchased by Jesus. But who were we purchased from? Ultimately, we were purchased from God. Because of our sin, just like Pastor Rick read from uh, Pastor Guthrie's prayer, not only are we sinful by nature, but we're sinful because of our sins. So we sin because we're sinners. We are slaves to sin. And even in that, that word kind of has that connotation that we are somehow held against our will. It's more that we were bond servants to sin. We were willing slaves to sin in need of ransom. So in steps Jesus to ransom us from God by his blood, ransomed from God by God, and ultimately for God's vindication. In Romans, we're told that um, God put Jesus Christ forth as a propitiation by his blood. This was to show his righteousness at the present time because he had passed over former sins. Jesus died for God to vindicate God to vindicate his glory because it looked as if God did not care about his glory as he was passing over former sins. But Paul tells us that this was to show his righteousness. God is righteous. We have been ransomed from God, from the wrath of God, by God, by Jesus Christ, for God's glory. And ultimately, to God. We are ransomed to God, to enjoy God forever. So that's what that title means, ransom. So we're going to explore that on Good Friday. We're going to explore that on Easter Sunday as well. So on, on Good Friday, we're going to be focusing on how we were slaves to sin, enemies of God. And on Sunday, we'll focus on now we are slaves to righteousness as children of God. Slaves to sin, enemies of God. And now, slaves to righteousness, children of God. So we hope that you can join us for Good Friday and Easter. It's going to be a sweet time. We hope that you can be there. Reserve your tickets online. Well, finally, we have our door offering today for Casa de Oración. You can uh, 
You can give online. Just make sure that you select the missions tab when you're giving. And if you give today, um, if you're giving a check, make sure you write CASA in the memo line. And if you're giving cash, write CASA on the envelope. And then again, there'll be a box at the back uh, where you can give your door offering for the building fund for Casa de Oración. Um, so we're so excited to partner with them. We hope that you'll give um, with joy uh, so that we can serve them and, and they can continue to serve the Lord. Well, again, it's been a blessing to be with you. We hope that you have a great week. You are loved.